Hi, this is Logos Legacy. Today, I'm interviewing Robert Maxim for the second time, actually. Um, Robert is author of Legacy and other great novels, which have been, which have a very clear new age, or should I say old age themes. He's also a YouTuber and has a range of other projects that may be of interest. So how are you doing today? Oh, doing fantastic. And thank you for having me on board. Well, it's a pleasure. Uh, we had a good conversation last week. And uh, yeah, there's more questions I wanted to ask you. So let's go. So do you have um, past life memories? All the time. Uh, the rule is that everything that I am today is past because of the nature of the plane in which we exist. So yes, everything I say, do, is by nature the past, uh, given a few door knocks from the higher self that comes in and adds new value and teachings. Uh, beyond that, flashes of past lives, indeed, they come in quite often, which is the norm for everyone. Everyone should be able to do that. Everyone should have flashes given they have an understanding of how soul and creation works. Do, do we have um, some kind of barriers to um, having those flashes from prior incarnations? Or do we have barriers to understanding that that is a prior incarnation? Well, imagine, let's use a coffee pot as an example. A coffee pot, normally, sorry about that. Normally a coffee pot, you will have the coffee grinds over a filter with hot water pouring through it. And the filter will just have liquefied bean juice, shall we say, fall to the bottom to the collector. And that filter keeps the, the seedlings of the ground coffee from pouring through, making a mess. So we all have a sort of filter and that filter limits the amount of what we see. And that filter is called lack of attention, lack of sincerity. Memories come to us as emotions, not necessarily as thoughts desires, uh, fears, angers, and they're very fast. And they usually change four times per second. That's how fast they are. So what this means is that one, two, three, four, that fast, four past lives memories just came through in, uh, in the form of, of emotions. So it's a lot of coffee grounds up there that we just can't see. So how do we see that? We have to learn to observe quite sincerely and focus, should we say focus on perhaps the strongest uh, sense of feelings that we have and begin to ask, why? What do you want? Why, what do you want? And then you begin to sense the what and you have to start drilling down and drilling down drilling down 
you're beginning to disarm the filter, uh, that noise that comes through. You can't do it through regular meditation. Meditation blocks it. So you can't read it. It gives you peace. It gives you tranquility. But it doesn't give you the answers. No, you have to be quite awake and, and quite uh, attentive to these feelings to say the moment they come up, but immediately catch it. You're not getting away from me. I'm going to analyze you. Okay, you feel this way because of this, this, and this. Why did you react to that person? Why didn't you like this? Ask and you shall receive. So once you tear this down, it so, becomes so automatic that now past lives begin to filter through. Not only your past lives, but you begin to also sense the past lives of others. Even though you don't see them, you begin to feel them because we're all connected. And it's part of that independence filter that we have that keeps us from being brothers and sisters. So you see the mess that we're in and where we must begin. So Robert, when we um, have a past life memory, is it typically uh, an image or like a mental video clip or something you heard pre previously, but paired with an emotion? Or do you mean that it just literally is just emotion? For the most part, we just feel an emotion and very fast. But when you disarm that filter, then you see video, smell, sounds, uh, feelings. Uh, you feel the air, you feel the temperature, you know, what, what your, the clothes you were wearing, what they felt like. You can see yourself from inside of you, from outside of you at the same time, from different angles. Uh, it's like, this is no longer three-dimensional, it's four-dimensional. And you see yourself even going back in time, backwards, forwards. You can skip back and forth on that life you get to control it. It's like fast forward, fast rewind, play, pause. You have full control over that memory. But you first have to go through this exercise of disarming this huge filter that we've built for thousands and thousands of years uh, where we have ignored these feelings and they have taken the upper hand over us. They control us. We feel anger, we exercise it. We feel fear, we exercise it. We don't even know why. We dislike something, we desire something. We go for it. We don't stop to say, why? Somebody says something negative uh, at us. We react. We don't ask why. We don't know the laws that control uh, freedom of expression of other individuals and realize that they have every right to act that way. And what we're seeing them in them is actually what we have inside. That's why we recognize it as bad. So all of those little details, we have to learn to be clear channels, a clear clairvoyance, not first of ourselves, so that then we can serve the needs of others. Okay, so do we need to balance meditation um, with and such techniques with 
um, letting down the um, the barrier or disarming that um, barrier, uh, like you said. Yes. Could you but, right? Yes. Now, uh, the ancient Buddhist practiced this self-reflection, except that art has been lost and now has become a sort of escape mechanism. Uh, we have to go back to the old ways, the old Kalakakra ways, the old Buddhist ways. They had it down packed. Uh, they were calm. They were meditating 24-7, even in their dreams. And the meditation was to be very observant of themselves, be very observant. And that gave them then the calm that they were looking for because they knew truth. They were being sincere and truth was with them. And when truth is with you, then everything in creation opens to you because the creation is truth, it's wisdom. That's what energy and mentality is in creation. Every pulse is intelligent, it has a purpose, it's true. It's real because it is what it is. So we have to be the same way. I admit it, I am not a very wise person. I'm not very developed. The fact that I know that, that's the truth. That makes me wise. That's meditation. Meditation is understanding while being calm. You don't wanna hate yourself. You don't want to beat yourself or say, gee, I'm negative, so I'm giving up. I'm going to destroy myself. I'm going to destroy that ego. You can't. You can't destroy it. So it is part of creation. How do you meditate without making it the barrier or arming it more? Being honest with myself. And not, for example, uh, yes, I listen to music. I love to be inspired, it helps. But singing mantras or, or making, making sounds, that's disturbing. It, it blocks. You don't wanna make any noise whatsoever. You just want to be at peace and be very sincere. Let the feelings come through, don't block them. Don't just say, uh, I, I am infinite, I am positive, I am this. No, 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 no. Don't do any of that. Just don't say what you are. Listen to what you are. Let it tell you what you are. Accept it, love it, educate it, step it up. And the more you do that, the more you will ascend naturally. You are already a positive being. You have a higher self, but you're here because you're on a mission. The mentality you have in this plane is very low compared to a celestial realm. So you have been brought here to act like the educational bridge for your higher self to educate that lower part and make it wiser. So don't expect to be uh, a master or a positive being. There's no such thing, not here. You're only a student here. And as a student, take lessons from truth, from your father, from your higher self. 
honesty and love will give you wisdom. Let it come from your higher self. Accept it. If you fear, if you feel a message come to you about yourself, listen closely. That still small voice will never lie to you. And it will tell you what you need to learn at the moment in time that you need to learn it. Don't be in a hurry to repair your ego. That's why you have a life. It will come in steps as you're able to handle it. And the higher self will guide you as long as you do your job. Your job is be open, be observant, be sincere. Don't be frightened by what, by what you feel sometimes. It is what it is. It is truth. Accept it. Love it. And don't forget what Jesus said one time. He said, and it's very true, he who hates his, lo- his life is going to repeat it. That means the past repeats itself. History repeats itself. The ego repeats itself. And reincarnation will continue to repeat if you don't come to grips and do your job, do your mission. I know, I, I am one of them, my friend. I, when I was littler, I wanted to solve all of the world's problems. I wanted to speak to the masses. Everybody does, everybody wants to be the good guy. Well, I had to learn the hard way that it's best that I keep my mouth shut and just demonstrate how to live. Demonstrate it to my actions, not to my lips. Demonstrate it and be observant. That is the best teacher there is. You're putting yourself to the test. And if you find something that is not quite right, deal with it, fix it. Come to grips with it. Be valiant and face it the moment it happens. Don't just go to a room and say, well, I feel, I feel tired. Uh, I'm no good. I better turn this on and, and begin to close my eyes and feel positive. You just lost a great opportunity to figure yourself out. The moment you feel bad, that's the moment you need to take a look at you. Don't waste time. You can relax and you can be calm with your ego, not afraid of it, not tired of it. There's no such thing as being tired. No such thing. You're only tired because you don't like what you are. Okay. Thank you. That was a very interesting answer. I mean, you went quite a bit of a detail there. Um, I'd like to move on to... um, What's the significance of the name Atlan? Atlan, a very ancient name. And I'm glad you mentioned it. Atlan comes from various generations. Uh, and it is actually a name that you find in different parts of the world because of its source. Atlan it means from water or in water. And it is a name that comes all the way from Atlantis. The Greeks used it. Uh, the Mauritanians used it. The Aztecs and the ancient people of Americas used it. 
the little derivative, Aztlan. Uh, but it all comes from the fact that they all came from one central place, which we call Atlantis. Back then, the name was Atlantan. Two words, Atlantan, or Island of Water. Okay, so... Could you please summarize the history? Well, I mean, I could ask you to summarize the history of Atlantis, but I'll tell you what, mm -hmm. um, without taking too long, obviously, because it's a very long story. Um, could you go back to where, where you feel is most appropriate as the beginning, whether it's Lemuria or earlier, um, and sort of piece put the puzzles pieces together so we can understand our ancient history um, before, I guess, um, yeah, our ancient history. It dates way back. For the majority of us, we used to be brothers. We were part of the brotherhood. But some of us decided, I want to be independent. I want to do my own stuff. And that imagine in a civilization where everybody reads everybody's minds. The normal is to know your past lives. The normal is I, I can feel what you're, what you're going through. I don't say anything, but I know what you're going through, but I can't say anything. That's the law. I can't interfere with you unless you ask me. So these people took advantage of that and they segregated from the brotherhood and formed what was called back then the Alliance or the Federation. You probably heard the name Galactic Federation today. It's that same organization that we founded way back a million years ago. It caused problems, destroyed worlds, there were wars. Uh, and because we were troublemakers, some of us, I'm not saying you, we were gathered and brought here to work out our own peace and learn what brotherhood was. Shambhala came 400,000 years ago. We turned our backs to it. It was in the Southern Gobi Desert within the Himalayas. We ignored it. They gave us everything you can imagine. We didn't want it. Can I ask you something? I do actually, there's certain things I'm not quite sure what you mean because you kind of very quickly summarize it. So. Who were the Shambhala and what, what happened when they came? Shambhala, Shambhala is, shall we say, a celestial university. It's where we go when we give up the ghost here. It's where we go, for the most part, during the evenings when we sleep. That's where we study. It's where our consciousness joins briefly with the higher self to be educated in readiness for another day of mission. Uh, that is what the sleep period and the death period is. So there's seven worlds, seven chakras in Shambhala. Uh, Venus is one of those worlds. There's another six. I have visited four. I have three to go. And each of them is dedicated to a specific spiritual science. 
healing, leadership, education, philosophy, etc. There's seven. So Shambhala, one of the Shambhala worlds was actually lowered here. The scientific plane, Eros. Huge city, huge. I mean, if you read the Tibetan records, it's amazing what that was, uh, how large it was, how many citadels it had, lakes, uh, temples, per, uh, pearl platform, 90, uh, I think it was 90 meters tall, one huge pearl rock. Uh, a science that was incredible, plants that gave you heat during the night, uh, the, the temple's ceilings opened up and it became a telescope. How can Tibetans from five, 7,000 years ago know this, know about telescopes? You have to read, you have to read uh, those Tibetan records. They're just amazing. The Kalakagra has it, the, Xingxing, the Chinese Xingxun has it. And I have a video of all those records and references on my webpage that you can look at to learn more about Shambhala. But when we turn our back against it, they had to leave and they left. And we work in the dark until about 260,000 years ago when there were mixtures of other colonists that were killed by the people living here. There were a mixture of DNA and races. Beings from other worlds had to come to put a stop to this and they created Lemuria to help educate us about 127,000, we went 127,000 years ago, we went to war again, we lost. Lemuria destroyed itself 77,000 years ago. Why did they destroy themselves? What went wrong? Atlantis, colony. They both were vying for world power. So who were, were they, so Atlantis was a colony, Lemuria was a colony from beyond Earth, and there were also humans here? Uh, the Lemurians, those who found it, the Lemurian continent had left. We had to work our own peace and demonstrate how to live by ourselves. We failed. So uh, just to clarify, humans originally, did we come here or were we here already? We came here. Right, we came here. Um, now, I've heard certain things about why we came here, but maybe that's not so important. Um, we came here, and the later Lemurians came here? Or are there things I'm not sure about? Lemuria is actually a pseudonym. Their real name is Mu. Uh, oh, that's okay. the real name. Uh, these beings came from this world uh, to help, to help construct the city of Lemuria, which was south of Java in the Indico Ocean or the Indian Ocean. A huge city, eight circular uh, citadels, just like in Shambhala, eight circular citadels. They were about 40 kilometers wide each. It was a huge city. And each circle was dedicated to a specific educational realm, just like in Shambhala. There was a miniature Shambhala, basically. The Lemurians left. We were left to our own. We were okay for several tens of thousands of years, but then ego caught up. 
who's going to come to power? There you go, the division again. Re history repeated itself. It became a militant society. They developed warships. They went and attacked a couple of worlds here in the solar system. There was a counterattack. They lost, went back, to, they, and eventually, in a war, in a war between colonies, uh, Lemuria was destroyed, and Atlantis was also destroyed in the process. It was a nuclear exchange. Then came you. You was set up and didn't last too long, a couple of thousand years before they destroyed themselves again. You, did you say? You. Why? Why you? Why you? Mm -hmm. Right. Then came Atlantis, about 55,000. So is this a different Atlantis from the Atlantis that fought Lemuria? At, at, this is the same Atlantis they researched. Uh, after you destroyed itself. They went to Atlantis and they built their aliens, came, helped, uh, but eventually about 17,000 years ago, those masters that came had to leave because again, we turned our backs on them. There were colonial wars that took place between Atlantis and its colonies like uh, Ollantaytambo in Peru uh, there's evidence of the war there. Uh, we've all have heard of Pumapunku, uh, Greece, Egypt, uh, India, Jonah's weapon in India. We can read all about it in the history of these countries. And their, their literature actually tells us where Atlantis was, right to the location. Um, which is the island of Guadalupe in the Lower Antilles. I have a video on that as well that you can view with all of the references. Now, eventually the power towers blew up because they were being used as weapons. So Atlantis went poof overnight. The survivors go to Mexico and Peru wars again. Egypt rises. The Hittites wars again. And we on a rewind for a sec. Um, what do you know about the founding of Egypt and was Thoth involved? Yes. And who was Thoth? The same as Osiris. Who was Osiris? Not from here. They weren't from here, but they came to help. I mean, Correct. I've read something called the Emerald Tablets of Thoth the Atlantean and by someone called Dorial, and he seems to be involved in, was it the White Brotherhood or of Malchietedek or something, I think. And um, according to that story, um, he was an Atlantean who found the way to live extended life by going to something called the, what is it? I can't remember what it was called. Amenti or something, Halls of Amenti. Um, do you know about any of this or what is it? What do you think of what I just said? Yes, the Emerald Tablets are actually fraudulent. A lot of it comes from her Greek hermetism. And 
it is a story of a story of a story of a story of a story. Uh, the best and most legitimate story that we have of Atlantis is from Plato. However, there were six Greek philosophers, including Solon, who was a statesman, Cranter, Eudoxus. There were six in total. Pythagoras that traveled to Egypt to the same temple and read the same stellas with the same story of Atlantis. And they all describe the same thing. These are called the stellas of Isis. And Isis means the star Sirius in Canis Manor. Now, Osiris on the other side was Thoth, who is also referred to as Hermes in Greece. The source of this being is Orion. So Orion and Sirius. It can almost be referred to as Adam and Eve from other worlds helping colonists get away from Atlantis. There are records that have been discovered underneath the Sphinx. There are records that have been discovered beneath the large pyramid. It's documented on my video. And there's a lot of stuff that most people don't know. It's there and it is legitimate. The Hermetic tablets are actually made up. So what's the difference between the information under, found under the Sphinx and the, the tablets that you're saying were made up? The tablets were hearsay. They were basically uh, stuff that people were saying and they were collected in tablets, uh, in writings. Uh, the fact that supposedly these 30 plus tablets were, were looked at and were referenced, uh, there's no record that they ever existed. There is an emerald tablet that has been publicized. It's, I've seen pictures of it. And I have tried to decode the language. It's a combination of Carthaginian, uh, Greek, uh, ancient Aramaic, uh, it's all mixed up and nothing out of that tablet makes sense. It's, it's a, uh, if I decode the language, it is completely meaningless. There's no uh, patina in the tablet, which means it has been recently created. Uh, so from an archeological point of view, uh, that tablet that is, that has been photographed has no historical legitimacy to it. Okay, could you elaborate about the um, information found underneath the Sphinx and what that tells us? None of it, I mean. Mm -hmm. If we read the writings of uh, Edgar Casey, we find that beneath the right paw, there was a, a place, a room, full of the secrets of, of the Atlanteans. That room has been found. It was found in 1987. 
look at the look at the archaeological work of Paganini. Uh, they have known of these passages since the early 20th century. Uh, they have found tunnels that go all the way to the uh, to the pyramids, various of them. They have found several entrances into the Sphinx. Uh, uh, Sahi Hawar himself has been down there. Uh, they have found a, hu a huge network of uh, tombs, hallways, rooms in that area, but they have kept quiet what they have found. There was a room that was found beneath the pyramid and a drawing was made. This was early 20th century. It was a staircase that was discovered at the top of the pyramid that went all the way down several dozens of meters into the ground beneath the pyramid where they found a room of records, two stories tall, full of documents, and what is perceived to be the Stella of Isis. And if we read the, the writings of Manetto and also Flavius Josephus, they confirm the existence of these Stellas. And they tell us what they actually had. And these Stellas showed the history of Atlantis and, no kidding, also many of its sciences, its language, its history. And although the video that I made is in Spanish, I apologize, I think that a lot of the information shown in the presentation itself can be <clears throat> easily identified in the English language. But the pictures themselves on the references are priceless. Wow. Um, that's, well, I might need to reconsider certain things. Um, Again, um, you would probably, I'm not sure if you'd agree, no, I mean, you probably would. Would you agree that like, we shouldn't take anyone as an authority on any matter? We need to look at to it ourselves with our own discernment. And you wouldn't want to be taken as an authority on this. I always say, trust, but verify. Okay. Trust, but verify. And in that presentation, all of the references are given. Mind you, I do, at the end, mentioned what I have seen. But before that, for 45, 50 minutes, I show evidence backing what I have seen. Uh, <clears throat> even the years I was able to extract from even the Bible, the years, the destruction of Lemuria when it happened, the, the search of the negative cults, I call the snake cults in Atlantis about 17,000 BC when it actually happened, when Atlantis sunk. What is the relationship between the deluge and its year happening biblically and how it, how it is counted up by the sons of Noah, which is a year multiplier? It gives the same date as Plato, as Ogygian, as many other flood stories from Greece. So there is a match. Uh, and again, all of those references are there. The most beautiful thing, uh, Nick, is if you look 
the significance of the patriarch names in Genesis, it spells out what happened. Oh. The names are a story. And it's, I have it outlined on that video also, but short of it means uh, man being selfish, kind of decided to go on his own, build ships, but they were stricken down by God. That's very interesting that it says they, they built ships. It's very explicit. They built ships, but they were stricken down by, by God. These spaceships? Because of the technology in the Book of Enoch that also speaks of high technology, you bet. If you read Enoch the Ethiopian, it explains uh, the technology that they were working with, the destructive technology. Uh, so sure enough, they, in Atlantis, they were going to attack again. This would have been a second attack from Earth twice. Now, today, there's I have great concern that we're about to do it again. Why? Because my friend, we have the technology already. We're flying out there. We have interplanetary craft capabilities. We have motherships. We have scout ships. We've had them for quite some time. And I have a witness that saw the plants. We've heard TR-3B. We've heard that name mentioned quite a bit. Golly, it exists. And you know, me and my family have seen him. Who, sorry? Me and my family. You we saw who? TR-3Bs. R-3Bs. TR, like Tom, Roger, 3 Bravo. TR-3B. 3 Bravo, right. Yeah, that is a triangular craft made in the USA. Oh. It's also called a Black Manta. Okay, well, um, now we're on to science. I'd love to talk to you about the... Hmm. Suppose, let's... Uh, what are the... Um, Hmm. Well, there's Atlantean science. There's, well, Lemurian science. What, what, where's the overlap between spirituality and science? And what's the evidence for it? Uh, spirituality is science. You have to understand creation to be a part of it. It's not wishy-washy. It's what you know is where you live. So science is critical. The thing is that technology is for spirit. Spirit is not for technology. And the problem that we've had through these thousands of years is that we have used our spirit, our lives to, shall we say, imbibe in technology, live for technology use it for our own gain, power. 
and yes, to destroy. Look at the airplane, 1902, the Wright brothers. In a few years, those same aircraft were dropping mail packages on cities. But a few years later, they were dropping bombs. Look at nuclear energy. In 1945, we wiped out two huge civil areas in Japan. To date, there have been over 4,000 explosions. The radiation from these bombs has gotten into the Earth's magnetic field. It has gotten into the core of the planet, and it is a cause for global warming. Look, 94% of the global warming gas on Earth is water vapor. You can't get rid of water vapor. It'll kill you. This whole thing about global, global warming is a fad to channel money away into dark projects. That's what it's for. Uh, global warming is nothing more than the result of radiation that radiation destroyed Earth's natural recycling cycle of carbon dioxide. It's a 22-year cycle tied to solar, uh, to solar activity and Jupiter's orbit. It died. It died. You can look at the Oceanic Administration's data for carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and you can see that since 1945, the amount of carbon dioxide has suddenly gone straight up. Every 22 years, carbon dioxide went up, back to the baseline, back down, back to the baseline. It balanced itself every 22 years. But after 1945, that recycling process stopped. It's been a straight line going straight up. The Earth is no longer recycling carbon dioxide or methane. Interesting, huh? What else does nuclear energy do in the magnetic field? If you want to listen to a radio station, you will turn your dial to the specific frequency of that station. Now, what if you have a dial on your mag magnetic field that has the same channel frequency as the sun? What station are you going to receive? The sun? Yes. An increase in radiation from the sun is going to come through. And it's going to cause global warming. And there's another facet to this. The fact that that radiation is in the planet, it has concentrated beneath Antarctica and Greenland. And you could see this on thermographic studies of, of the surface. Uh, overabundance of heat between those two, shall we say, continents or large islands is heating up the base of the ice caps and melting them. It's not and the atmosphere that's doing it. So they're trying to leverage that situation they've created to justify controlling the collapse of the economy that's 
been coming for a while, largely due to their activities that they've been causing. And then they're leveraging that to create, it would perhaps say intend to create an order that suits their interests better. And so it's like everything they do, they leverage more and more and more for power. Exactly. So, I mean, it sounds pretty bad. I, I have hoped that if we, as humanity, manage to, to put this massively simplistically, if the light, quote, wins, if, if you know what I mean, uh, um, maybe we can heal the earth and resolve things. But um, I would like to explore the, the scientific... Um, the scientific, uh, a lot of people are skeptical about spirituality. Um, and yes, faith is a good foundation for an intuition, a good foundation. And in a work or whatever, there are different ways to access spirituality. But what's the, um, whether it's quantum physics or what have you, what do you say, what case would you make for mysticism or spirituality or what have you from a scientific standpoint? We can say that science has already discovered string theory. So we know that physicality is the result of energy coming from a higher subdimension down into ours. So we have, we have been able to figure that out. So we do understand that there's no such thing as classical physics. Yes, quantum theory, out the door. Relativity, out the door. Uh, we now know that cordons are the basis of all physical mani manifestation. Comes down virtually, it leaves. Comes down virtually, and it leaves. The Could you universe, say that again? What is the basis of it all? Uh, uh, they're called um, condons, or they are actual like string uh, cords. Some right. are circular, some are just single lines. It's a very basic theory, but it is fairly, it has a degree of accuracy to it. Uh, they have calculated 11 subdimensions already from string uh, theory. Uh, it has quirks, it's not perfect, but they're going in the right direction. So, what does this have to do with spirituality? It, it proves that those strings are, uh, and I want to be careful with what I say, they're spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Everything is intelligence. Every pulse, every energy, any, every condon that, that comes from a string down to our subdimension is intelligent. It knows what to do how to do, how to interact. The results are always the same. The function is always the same. Gasoline is thought of as energy. You burn it, it did something. Hmm? This pen, if I drop this pen, this pen has energy because it's on hold. If I release it, it has kinetic 
energy. If I rub it, heat energy. But what science doesn't figure out is what makes that energy? What energy makes that energy? Well, you have to go into nuclear science. And then you start talking about uh, weak force, strong force, electromagnetic force, uh, you know, quantum mechanics and what have you. But those are resultants of another energy. What makes that? What makes that is intelligence, the design, the mind of the fountainhead. And that is what we can call spiritual. I don't like to use the word spiritual too much because it's very vague. And it comes from Kardec, from, from the days of Kardec. Uh, it's more like consciousness. So consciousness right. is everything. Mind is everything. Energy is mind. It came from a mind. Everything is a mind. Everything has wisdom to it. And that's why it's... Uh -huh. I've got a question. So in the field of quantum physics, they have observed that, well, observe, observations affect the outcome. Um, if everything is consciousness and observation involves consciousness, what's going on there? Let's look at Heidelberg's uncertainty. So uncertainty, you might look at something, you know, I might look at something at the same time, but the, by the time you fig we figure it out, we looked at the same object, it's already passed. We keep looking at it and it's passed. It's uncertain because it is, time does not stop. You cannot freeze. You cannot say the electron is here because by the time you, you figure it out it's here, it's already somewhere else. There's no such thing as stale, staleness in creation. Everything is constantly moving, changing, leaving, coming, leaving, coming. That leaving and coming is a quantum. It's a change. Quantum is change, alteration, renewal. Quantum in an atom is inflating through gaining extra energy and then deflating when it passes it on. That's all it is. It's a change in energy state. And what else could be quantum than having no atom because the atom just left this dimension, having an atom again because it came back, reappeared, reincarnated. See, oh, wow. energy reincarnates itself so fast that we can't, that's why there is an uncertainty, my friend. We cannot tall tale an intelligence that is above us because it's conscious and it's got free will so yes yeah exactly and so everything is yeah conscious and everything vibrates there's this almost breathing like dynamic um of that seems linked to vibration where like i guess Well, there are said to be hermetic laws. Now, you probably don't want to like to use what we're phrasing, hermetic, because uh, you've given those reasons. But uh, what are the laws of reality, such as the law of vibration? 
Well, it's very vague because vibration in itself is not a physical phenomenon. Vibration is the result of appearance, of energy appearance. And that pulse is in itself a vibration. Appearance and disappearance is a pulse. However, to have, say, a, a physical pulse takes many of these appearances to happen. Let, let me explain. An atom is the end result of billions of different vibrations that are brought down here. The atom in itself is one vibration, one sine wave. But on that sine wave, it has a whole bunch of little jiggles on it, a ton of them. It's like when you look at uh, uh, what are, an EKG for the heart, you see, you know, boom, 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 boom. But if you look closely at that graph, there's all kinds of little tiny edges, other frequencies that are in there, instructions. So if you look at the atom, you will see one boom, boom, one pulse. But over it, there's billions of them of instructions. So we really cannot say everything is a vibration. Yes, everything vibrates, but we have to get away from looking, looking at things from a physical perspective, but from a dimensional perspective that billions of vibrations are coming down to make this overall vibration happen and make it make say like an oxygen atom or a hydrogen atom, or believe it or not, space. Okay, so, would you agree that energy is the causal factor and physicality is the result factor? Yes. Right. Now, in quantum physics, I talked about this in one of the readings I did of a, of a book about quantum physics. It talked about something called process one and process two. I think, was it? One of the quantum physics, was it Heisenberg or maybe one of the, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's this principle of, well, there's a set of, well, as a physicist said, put it, that there's a set of possible outcomes in superposition and they collapse um, upon observation. There's a collapse where one, one of those uh, outcomes or possibilities is chosen in the vertical commas by nature. Um, and that's the process one, which is a conscious observation process, which determines which of the possibilities is the, which are infinite, I suppose, is the one that happens. And so, which to me seems to fit very much the idea of consciousness being the cause and physicality being the result. And the idea is that process two is the physical result and all the Newtonian sort of physics or that sort of explanation of classical physics is like, look, just looking at the physicality results, but not the cause. Um, you seem to agree. Um, yes. Would you like to elaborate? Yes. Here, you are, you and me are here on this plane right here. 
and we're looking, say, at an atom. So we've taken uh, an atomic force um, microscopy picture of a plate of, say, gold atoms. And we see these little balls lined up, tagged one right after the other one. They're atoms. Okay, very static. We're both look, looking at this picture and oh, we agree that's an atom. Okay, now you and I are now elevated in consciousness. And we're still looking at the same atom. What are we going to see? Don't forget that energy comes down to us kind of like in a funnel until it gets here. So I explained the fourth dimensional cycle is compressed. So we're going now, we're down at the base of this funnel right here. And now we're gonna be ascended up here to a little higher level. What are we going to see? We're not going to see the same atom. We're not gonna see the same structure. It's unpacked, it's an unfolding. It is. And you're going to be able to see that from this atom, let's say we focus on this one atom now, and we see energy being delegated downward to create the version that we're seeing here, the vertex of this funnel. So we see a multiform version of the atom here, another one here, another one here, another one here, another one here. When we get to the top of the funnel, we see the fourth dimensional cycle, basically expanding, collapsing, expanding, collapsing. Uh, but as you go down, you see a smaller circle, collapsing, expanding, collapsing, collapsing, expanding, collapsing, smaller, 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 until you just see that physical atom here. Right. So there's, on the lowest level, when you're looking at physics, just on a physical basis, but on a purely three-dimensional basis, you will just see a dot. And you'll be like, right. At the most, you could speculate, okay, that, well, there's the neutron, there's the electron, and the, uh, what's the other thing? Uh, <laughs> I'm really showing off my knowledge of physics. <laughs> so I just went blank for a sec. But you, you know, you get what I'm saying, right? There's the, the neutron, and I'm thinking positron, but that, that is not it. It's proton, proton, right? And there's the electron going around it. But I came across in a book by David Wilcock, actually, where he was citing evidence by a scientist where it's actually a set of fields, interlocking fields, rather than a dot. I would I sense that that's a higher level of dimensionality in some regard. Maybe I'm sure for every level you look at it, you, you see more detail or more granularity as what's going on um, because it's less densely packed together, right? Good way to look at it. Yes. But there's one more instrument. Uh, there are, let me count the nines correctly, 99.99 9999999% of the human body is empty. Now, what does that mean? That the majority of creation is nothing. 
If I had a baseball here, uh, I live about, um, say, uh, about 30 flying, flying wise, I live about 30 miles from the city of Phoenix. That would be approximately uh, close to 45 kilometers from here to Phoenix. Uh, between me and the city of Phoenix, there would be, if, if an atom was the size of a baseball, between me and Phoenix, there will be four baseballs. One every uh, roughly uh, 28 kilometers. So three baseballs. That is how much space there is between atoms. What does that imply? That the reality of creation is not what's solid, it's what's empty. And now what is the emptiness? If you study the physics of atoms, and if you study, if you actually break down many of the laws that we have, and you equate them properly as in terms of energy, you find out that the core of the atom is positive. The shell of the atom is negative. Positive, negative, empty space is positive. Uh, I did some mathematics that proved, it's what I call a pronemo. A pronemo is a positive energy field outside of the atom. Empty space is positive to the atom. It says it say that it has a frequency of upper ultraviolet. I can't tell you the number right now. It's like 7.34 times 10 to the 14th hertz. High, high violet. In this calculation, I was able to figure out that the negative charge is a factor of three times less frequency. The electron is a third of the frequency or high infrared. And I forget, I forget what the frequency is right now, but it's a third. Everything in creation is one and three. You have the pronemo field at a frequency. You have the electron on a negative charge, a third of that frequency. And that is a relative discharge from this vortexual breathing process. So where, where this fourth dimensional energy resides, you get the pronemo. Don't forget, space is an electric field. Remember last time I said that the space com component of the fourth dimension is, is an electric field and it represents space? That's the pronemo. And I'm talking way, way too much physics here, but I hope you can follow me on this. So that's what creates the positive. The nodal contact point or the, where, where this collapses and creates a magnetic field, it's a third of the frequency and that's what we call the atom. Okay, if I were to backtrack and try to summarize, summarize it. So there's a field 
that's a negative, right? And that's the atom. Of MD3. Right, so there's not the field, the atom is in a positive space. Correct. But it's positive inside as well. Correct. Um, are there negative fields projected out, or is it only the shell? Only the shell is negative, which is that reduction in frequency. And that reduction is what creates your reality. That's it. When you look at creation and see that physicality is a third frequency of, of space, then you begin to understand that it's all a huge hologram and it's very simple. It's based on one and three. So creation, or at least physical creation, is a lowering of density that packs in, wait, not lowering of density, sorry, sorry, and lowering by third of frequency to pack things in a third more, more densely? Am I, does that make sense or am I misunderstanding? Well, it is it is self um, it is self contained. The fact that you have an equal amount of positive pressure around this nodal point of descent, descent collapses it, collapses or forces that negative field inward. Okay, so let's imagine that you had an egg. If you crack an egg open, it the the egg yolk and everything just splatters out. But if you had enough air pressure, sufficient air pressure, when you open up that, that, that shell, you open it carefully, that egg, that, that juicy, yolky stuff will basically stay around it because of the nature of pressure from all angles. And that's what makes the atom what it is. That's what gives it its form. And it pushes the negativity towards this ball. And wherever you have negativity, guess what you have? You have positive within. So that's the duality. And a creation is the interplay between positive and negative. And so negative Bravo. is created so that they can interplay and you can have creation. Bravo. And when you've got, but you've also got each atom, it, they're all interacting consciously with free will. And so there's also creation that's the interplay between the creation of all the atoms. Yes. Now, consider in other dimensions, in, I'm sorry, other sub-dimensions, because the ones that I can only speak to are between third and fourth. That's the only math that I have been able to achieve. As you go, as you expand out to this fourth dimensional cycle, here we are at the core, one to three. As you expand out, that number grows. The difference grows. Multiplying from three. Yes. But, but um, by power of three? Once you get to this circle, the fourth dimensional circle, it's not three. It's two times pi times. How does it get from three to two times pi times? Does, is the rule of three universal? Yes. 
everything is three. Everything it's just more complicated than mathematics, so it sounds like it's not, but it is. <laughs> it is. I, I pulled my hair out trying to come up with this math, uh, but it all matched because I figured out uh, through, uh, through the laws of static electricity, uh, the difference in frequency. Uh, there are different formulations uh, using Planck's constant in mass that allows you to figure out what the frequency of specific mass charges are and capacity. So that's how you can figure out in this dimension, this factor of one to three. But as you begin to escalate up dimensions, that number three uh, is a limit, it's a mathematical limit of what it would be in the fourth dimension, which is two pi times. So it's 6.7, something or another, <laughs> get multiplied by, uh, <clears throat> but it is uh, from three, it gets into that big number, six point something or another. Wow. Now, um, I've start, heard thinking, it, um... start thinking also. Here we are in the third dimension. What about beneath the third dimension? The second dimension. And well, in between the levels as well. It begins to reduce from three down until there's no reality. It's what we call absorption. Minds can get to the point where they have no intelligence left in them. And This should be a very strong message to anyone listening that if you don't do anything about your intelligence and your wisdom and put it to practice, you will continue to de-evolve in intelligence. And you may have to go to worlds that are lower than this in order for your mind to survive that level of intelligence. And you may continue spinning down these sub-astral worlds until there's no intelligence left in you. And that means absorption. That means that your, your ego or your intelligence in this level will have to start again from scratch. There's no need for that. To clarify, you're not suggesting fear, but rather just acceptance and um... Uh, awareness. Yes. Right. Right. Get to work. So basically, is this so? There's a work to be done in life, but also a play to be done in life, and an interplay between work and play. Yes, and I like to use play as creativity, music, uh, novel writing, uh, giving conferences. That to me is play. Writing, uh, writing music, for example, the music to Atlantis and Lemuria uh, video, I wrote that. And it, it's not that I sit down to figure it out. It's that I am calm enough and aware enough of myself that the melody comes. That is the play part. When you've done the hard work, the play comes automatically. Is it important to have a balance of work and play? 
Yes, it is. If you if you look after trouble, if you try to go after your problems and try to fix them, you're going to be in even more trouble. Trouble comes in after you. So you should not go after it. You should just, as it speaks, you should confront it and educate it. And the rest will then be peace and play. Um, is that the work to be done? Yes. The work of love? The work of love to yourself. Imagine that you had a child. So a child comes from school and says, Dad, uh, Billy uh, hit me in school. Look, I have a bloody nose and I have a ton of homework. I need your, your help. And uh, I'm the child's dad and I am on the phone with my buddies. This is go to your room. I'm talking to my, to my friends right now. I'll go when I can. Go to your room. It's not the right thing to do to a child. Our ego, our mind here is our child. We have created it through many, many reincarnations. And if, when that child talks, when it hates, when it has desires, if we send it to a room because we want to play or we want to be with our buddies, we're doing to ourselves what we would have done to that child. On one hand, suppose you have a desire. Hypothetically, suppose it's a sexual desire. Um, would you say there's a balance to be struck or some kind of integration uh, of opposites when it comes to whether you dismiss it or um, uh, indulge in it or perhaps accept it or something else? An example from the brotherhood. Uh, they do have relationships. They do have uh, partners and family, just like we have here, with only one difference. They do not engage in pleasure for the sake of pleasure. For them, pleasure is a mission. To bring someone to this life that they are mentally aware of. So they treat each other like brothers and sisters and their intimate relationships are nothing like what we have here. It's mostly mental, although the physical attribute does come into play when the consciousness decides. It's huge discipline involved. Uh, desire is a remembrance. It's a recall, it's a repeat, it's a rerun. It's, I'm not gonna say that there's anything wrong with it, However, we have to be aware, slowly become more aware of the infinite ways in which we are to live. We don't know how to live. As a matter of fact, we don't even know how to eat. Uh, we don't even know how to uh, practice proper bodily hygiene. We have no clue. 
we think we're modern, we have toothpaste, we have this, we go to the gym. We're just doing it because it's all we know. But we're way behind in being able to treat our bodies in such a way that we can live up to a thousand years in the same body like those beings do out there. They've learned the discipline. We haven't. We follow desires. They watch desires. And they ask their father, their higher self, is this something I should engage in? And they have the practice of honesty, sincerity, and truth. And, and they have valor. Uh, and they get their answers. And they follow the free will of the consciousness, not the free will of repeating history. I have a sense that focusing on, for example, sex, uh, on a purely physical level, when physicality is result that comes from cause, is putting result before cause, putting the cart before the horse. And it's, is it focusing on a negative contraction of consciousness? Uh, our ego mind here is a tape recorder and it likes to play back things depending on cycles. So ego, again, a range of intelligence, low intelligence, high intelligence. The consciousness, it, let's use anger instead of sex as, as an example. It is another emotion, it is another replay. There are things in our mind that we can control easier than others. Uh, we may not be able to deal with fear, for example, but we might be able to deal with anger. We might be able to deal with hunger, but not be able to deal with sex. These are all repeats that we have to come to know and understand and master. Uh, if we are to achieve, <coughs> pardon me, if we are to achieve brotherhood, then we have to realize that the usage of the body is something of great, great respect. Uh, it is not an instrument of pleasure. It's an instrument of mission. These are things that we begin to, to learn little by little as we can appreciate the higher aspects of life. Not everyone is ready to take that leap. And it's not mandatory, but it is in our coursework to develop and be able to leave this planet. Uh, take, yeah, take a chimpanzee, it's in a cage. Would you take that chimpanzee to your house to live with you? Probably not. Would you take beings say from Mars or from Venus or from some other world, get us out of our cage to go live with them? There would, there's, there would be a process of preparation or rising in consciousness or 
something like that. Exactly. The chimpanzee would have to go through the same because you're not only offending or hurting them by what you do, but what you think. Don't forget, they are a, uh, a web, a mental web. They're all united. There are no secrets between one and another. Everything is known. There's nothing you can hide. Um, but your attitude will be reflected by the emotions that you carry and the thought forms that you carry in your mind as well. You might look at a sister and immediately you rate her sexually, for example. Hmm? And says, oh, I did a bad thing. And then you castigate yourself, you beat yourself. That's another negative thing. You don't want to beat that child for what it did. We just get, we, we're just gonna be so miserable in that environment. We would not be able to live there. Say a couple of days, you would want to come back. No football. No, no beer, no pizza, no movies. Uh, you're, you're gonna be bored to death because your desires are, are different. You're gonna be in a cage mentally and in what to do, your interests are going to be different. You're going to want to do things that you can't do. You're gonna feel bad. Uh, you're gonna rebel. The chimpanzee is gonna go wild because it's not its environment. So you want to accept and love, but educate yourself or your lower self when you experience desires, especially desires that you could describe as negative or unharmonious. Um, does this, what does this say about, is the important thing how we respond in our minds to the desire, not what we physically do? Well, imagine that you have a, a pitchfork that is pinching you in the back. Feel this way. Enjoy this. Think this. Dream about this. Want this. Say this. Orders. Your ego is constantly ordering you to do this or feel this or get that. Orders. But your consciousness is there to intercept these orders and put them down lovingly and educate that pitchfork so that it stops being so nagging and so out of control. It's not an easy thing to do. I can, I can tell you that. And it's not that everything that you think you have to put down. You just have to know why. Why? Uh, the little kid says, I'm in love with this girl at school. Why? Well, I like her hair. Okay. Why? Uh, she helps me with my homework. Okay. Uh, she's pretty. She talks nice. She's very kind. 
Okay. We have to go back to what Jesus once said. It's easy for us to be kind to those people that are kind to us. There's no merit in that because even sinners do that. The real merit is to respect and love those that are not kind to us. So why are we going to fall in love with what's nice and not love what isn't nice? What maybe that other girl that didn't have nice hair, didn't speak very nicely, didn't help with homework, maybe that other girl will be more fruitful to our life than the one that was nice and pretty. So, and the fruit to us would be, what can, what can I demonstrate to that individual? What can I provide to that individual? Not what can that individual provide to me? So uh, President Kennedy here in the US once said, uh, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. So our selfish nature, uh, brothers and sisters, it's just that. We want what the country can do for us. We prefer, we decide what can be done for us. We don't sacrifice ourselves to put aside our wants and try to give someone else a want. What can we do for our country? What can we demonstrate? What goodness can we provide? What patience can we offer? What tolerance? What love can we add to those that don't love us? That is more important than any offering from anybody, from any desire. Because our treasures should not be placed in this world. They should be placed in the world where we want to go to. There were three laws that were given to me in Alpha Centauri. Number one, give everything to everyone else that your father has told you to give. Don't receive anything from anyone unless your father has approved it. Then and only then can you serve the elements and be, shall we say, of a positive contributor to creation. Because then you will be serving the elements based on the free will of the Father and the consciousness, not the ego. The ego has no free will. Your consciousness does. How do you hone your listening or hearing of the father by first knowing who you are if you know all the noise that comes from your ego and you educate it then the only other voices left is your father your higher self if you treat your ego with love and educate it then the consciousness and the Father will be helping you, will be speaking to you to that ego. And just like I am speaking to you now, this is how I speak to myself. This is how I educate my ego. So what do you do if you're to have 
be surprised by a very negative thought. Um, maybe even an obsessing thought. What would you, what would your immediate mental response be? If you automatically reject it because it's super negative and you don't let it flow through you so you could see it, that you're doing yourself harm. I don't mean uh, if I feel like striking someone that I'm going to go strike that person. I don't follow through. But I let that sentiment come through so that I can observe it. I just don't execute it. And yes, sometimes it's very difficult. Uh, friends, sometimes I am told things that are extremely, extremely negative, offensive. And they try, people try to draw me into arguments and to defending myself. They're very tricky, very, um, sort of very uh, astute, evil deeds. And Yes, I will feel the reaction. I will feel uh, defense and offense come up. I observe it. Immediately I observe it and I educate them, realizing that the astute person has every right to be that way. And don't forget, we have to love not only those that love us, but those that don't. That's the real merit, to get to love them. And that's where you begin to change that negativity. Okay, so suppose one's ego does not love them and one's ego acts argumentative or um, antagonistic in some way, just even by bringing up negative thoughts that are unpleasant. Um, it's not really any different from if someone else says something negative or unpleasant or doesn't negative or unpleasant because, well, that's their ego doing it and we're one anyway. Mm -hmm. So is it coming from anger? And is the anger coming from something else? Like what's the dynamic of ego? And uh -huh. That's right. It is the creation of the ego when nothing else seems to work to get your way. If you, if you run into someone that's very negative and accusatory in the street, uh, they are creating a theater, a circus to intimidate you, to drop your consciousness, to make you react, to bring you down, to get you to argue, to get you to fight, and bring you at their level so you have no protection from the father. You, to expose you. That's what they try to do. But if you pull out a revolver and you point it at them, are they going to continue offending? No. Why? Because it was all theatrical. It was all made up. You're not suggesting to quote, to, so to speak, pull out a revolver on your ego. It is. It is only an allegory. What do you... it, it just shows that people act out of anger because there's nothing stopping them. Because they have no further intelligence left to get their way. Anger is nothing more than a weapon. 
when you realize what anger is, nothing can anger you. So what do you advise when the ego is playing out? Just listen to it and get to the root first that you know that it is ignorant. It is acting out of ignorance and now try to find out why, what it wants, why it's using anger to get what way, what does it want? If you go deep enough, you may find out, well, it's because I need money or because I need a break or because I need to do different, something different at work. Uh, but what, what it really comes down to at the root of that desire in the creation of that anger, that root is a lack of the presence of your father in you. How do we increase? Oh, I'm sorry. For what? Then what do you advise uh, for healing? For healing? Uh, I don't always start at that level. It's too simplistic. It's too basic. So I drive my analysis all the way down to, to that level. And I accept the fact that, yes, I don't have father at that level of intelligence. That, that tier, that floor of intelligence, that plane, that level does not have father. It needs father. It needs a higher self. It needs to be educated, it needs to be elevated. And once you do, the more you do, the more solid it becomes. You cannot overcome it in a few seconds or a few days. It will come back. And it may come back dressed up as different harmonies, different expressions. But you need to be ready to say that this level of my soul needs help. It needs education. It needs something positive. It needs father in there. It needs intelligence to counter the wrongful intelligence that it has, the defense mechanisms that it has. Because anger is nothing more than a void of intelligence. Imagine a lawyer in court. Let's say the lawyer is not uh, a good lawyer, doesn't know too much, and the other, the other party has presented incriminating evidence. And the only thing that the lawyer has left to do is either to quit the case or get angry. Why? Because it's ego, his ego or her ego just got plundered. It realized, I am exposed. I am not as prepared as I thought as I was. So now I have to defend myself because something is going to happen. I'm going to lose my case. I'm not going to get paid. So we have to take that seriously. Whenever we find uh, 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 whenever we react to aggression or an accusation, there's something disturbs us and drives us to that, well, we just hit a pothole. We just hit uh, an area in my soul that needs help. We have to educate it. There are winning an argument against one person is of no worth. 
but being able to live against the arguments of 8 billion people on this world. Now that's a battle that's worthy. But winning a battle over one person, that's nothing. All right, thank you. Um, that was very illuminating, thank you. Um, What's the Mandela effect to your understanding? I'm sorry, so you can say the that. Mandela effect. I will be honest, I used to know, uh, but my my hard drive up there doesn't remember right now. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Illuminate me a little bit on that. Well, it's um different people. Um People report, like, for example, a movie or something, they remember different things from it. And some people seem to think that um, what happened has changed or that some people experience different things from other people. Some people speculate about well, timelines or about some kind of conspiracy or something else. Do you know what's going on with that? Wrongful education. Uh, we can all, it's like the, the blind men who come up to an elephant and each of them touches a different part of the elephant, a tusk, a leg, a tail, a body. And that's all they have to go by. That's all they understand. And that's all they're going to describe. So based on your intelligence and your attention, can you adequately identify a situation or identify a memory. Again, the filter. Your filter will determine what you recall, what you understand. Uh, if you have a line of 100 people and you come to the first person and you give them a story and that person passes it on to another, by the time it gets to the 100th person down the line, it would be a totally different topic, totally different situation. Right. I think that everybody has a filter. So that's what comes into play here. Have you heard of uh, Tartaria? I've heard of Tartaria. Uh, the Tartaria, Tartarus, that I understand being hell. Uh, is there such a thing as hell? Uh, yes. It's called this planet. It's called okay. your ego. Uh, please. Mm -hmm. Well, um, supposedly Tataria is a, um, this, I don't know if it's fraudulent or not, or what the truth is, but there seems to be records of an alternative history to what we think is our history with a nation that, Quantum history never existed that occupied the area of like Russia and China stuff. And like people talk about something called the deluge and that, like, and that, that basically that would be lied to about a history, or maybe it's a different timeline, or maybe it's fraudulent. I, I don't know. But if you haven't heard of it, perhaps you're not the person to ask about it. I was just curious if you had any insight about it. Well, there is the Strait of Bosphorus that leads into the Black Sea and Tartara, uh, which, which deals with the flooding of that great basin after the Mediterranean field filled up. Uh, 
And of course, there's stories coming from the Urals and that side of uh, the Urals about uh, different histories of mankind in the area. If there is no, uh, how can I say it? Uh, proper documentation or uh, studies or physical evidence that can prove some of this, I wouldn't waste time on it. Okay, another question then. Um, what would you have to say about um, well, timelines? How do timelines work? There is only one timeline. And everybody has a, time, a different timeline. Timeline occurs at the level of consciousness, not at the physical layer. I know there are a lot of stories that say that in such and such a year, we changed timelines and now we're living an alternative uh, uh, experience or time and that is bunk, <laughs> honestly. Uh, there is no foundation for it. There is nothing that I have seen or received that proves that that is true. Uh, the, uh, for example, the end of the Bach Dunes, uh, 2012, a change in timeline, the ecliptic of the galaxy. This is just a bunch of astrological humph or uh, hoofmo, as I, <laughs> as I like to call it. There is no such thing. The only thing that does exist is your interaction with your future. Your present is the past of your future and you're in contact with your future. Your future is in contact with now, your past. And, you, and just like you are in contact with your other pasts, your present past, your present is affecting your future. And lessons from the future are affecting your, who you are now. It's not a timeline, but it's a change in experience. You are creating your future based on what you are now and that future is presently taking place so it seems to be linked to this filter where we have a subjective experiential um experience i suppose of mm -hmm. present future and past so to speak and everyone's got their own now the more unity there is between mm -hmm souls or beings, then the, the more, um, rather than separation, the, the more the experience will have commonality and perhaps differences in what some might call timelines or what others might call the Mandela effect or what have you. Perhaps it reflects the separation in between consciousness um that exists what do you say to that well your consciousness and my consciousness is tied together in one timeline in one experience it's a timeline that is totally separate from physical reality space time totally different events totally different they control the timeline that we personally experience the opportunity or the speed of life that we experience here how does it all come together? Well, 
the way that I am affecting my future is the way that I'm also affecting your future. I'm affecting the material content of this, of this dimension. Uh, I am affecting the orbit of other planets. Uh, it, it's all tied together. The mind is everything. We are affecting creation. We're not necessarily affecting our place and time. We are affecting creation. And we should not think in, the, in terms that uh, I would have let, uh, uh, at this point, part of me is going to start living, uh, you know, this reality here, but I'm actually going to, to live this other reality here. No, it's all one reality. And you don't split off realities in your, in your physical domain. It is a one track timeline. And okay. the only thing that changes it is your experience between past and future in what you in what you do and what you will do. I admit I feel somewhat uncertain as to what the truth is because just because I'm hearing different things from different sources, and that, that's okay. Um, I mean, we there's the illusion of certainty, and then there's a knowing and uncertainty, I, I sense. But I would like to um, would you like to talk about your novel, Legacy, and what it's about? I started writing Legacy when I was uh, 18 years old out of an experience that I had, my first past life viewing of the, the war in Lemuria back 127,000 years ago. It was a one-page document. And as other visions and contacts and teachings were coming through and I was learning lessons from uh, aliens, which by the way, I was meeting physically, not in dreams or anything like that, but sitting side by side and talking with them and getting an education from them. Uh, that became legacy. And I, and I figured, you know, I could write a book about my, like a diary, that I, I talk about this and I, and I said that, and I figured, you know, that is not good enough. The only way that this can come to life and people can understand how beings of other worlds live is through parables and through a story uh, and bring it to life with different situations that happen, especially my situations, my change. What was I like? What have I overcome? What have my fears? What have the, the celestial brothers told me? What did they set the record straight with me on? And how can I put that into a developing evolutionary story so that others can follow those breadcrumbs and learn from my experiences? So who is this? Um, who is the... In this story from looking at the blurb, to be honest, there, there seems to be a character who was very destructive and later became, uh, I guess, harmonious in comparison um, and then found out their own past. So um, who's that person? What's going on with that? Not without supporting it too much, I guess. <laughs> it was you. yours, yours truly. It's basically uh, an autobiography 
dating back a million years of what I've been, what I've done, where I've failed, where I triumphed, and the, shall we say, the worlds that I abandoned because of my ignorance. And we can, but we can come from a fallen state and we can rise again. Is that part of the legacy of the whole story? That's right. And I have fallen and risen, fallen and risen many times. Uh, and legacy is not at all uh, very kind towards yours truly. I mean, I spill the beans and it is raw. Uh, some of the qualifications that I go through in that book, they're not pleasant. Uh, and they're very strenuous, very precise, very, I mean, it's like, like a hot knife going through butter, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, they were, uh, the brothers spoke straightforward, very cuttingly, very strong. And they pointed out things in me that I wasn't even aware as I was writing, uh, very intense. Uh, and I was left with the opportunity to either accept it or keep crying about it. I accept it. So it was a healing, writing it was a healing experience for you? Yes. So is it important for us to access our past life memories so that we can heal? Yes. So we need to meditate and do other techniques so that we can be prepared or able to process, to access and process past life memories with regard to that filter. And then we need to process that to um, heal. So we need to heal to heal more, to heal more, I, I guess. And then we can integrate with, uh, I guess you could say the higher self or God the father or what have you. And, um, That's, I suppose you could say the next step of evolution or, or consciousness. Yeah, so, so thing, what do you... One yeah. thing I want to add there, that is correct. Uh, just be ready. Because when the higher self talks to you, it's a very short, very loud, very potent phrase. In a few words, as loud as a tramp, trumpet, it will tell you, what you are, just like, like that. Uh, it is just shivers your soul. It is truth. It is said in a way that it is inevitable. You cannot put it off. You cannot deny it. It's undeniable. It is what it is. It's powerful. So truth will come at you like a freight train. It will hit you hard. You better be be ready for it. If you read Legacy, you will find out just how hard it can hit you. Uh, there are parts in Legacy when I was writing it, I didn't want to continue with life. It was that strong. But I, I had to remember that I either keep facing forward and work for the infinite regardless of my state or my development or my problems, or I can turn my back 
and live in pity, self-pity, and really do harm to Father. If you're not moving forward, you're hurting Father. You're hurting creation. I'm hurting Nicholas. So I can't go back. The price I pay, the price that you all pay, if I don't keep moving forward, is horrible. And that's why I fell each time. I didn't understand that. I thought that my own self-honor was more important. Well, I learned otherwise. I had to sacrifice it all, whether it hurts or it doesn't hurt, for the well-being of everyone. And that's the message that legacy tries to drive. Okay. And um, just to finish off, what is uh, Logos to you? What does it mean? Logos, the word. So it's a Greek word used in, in the uh, uh, evangelical books. Uh, logos has been used, banded about, connected to uh, I'm treading into dangerous waters here, but there's a lot of religiosity involved in the word in the Greek word word logos in religious circles. Um, but in itself, the word logos is a word. It is not a mandate. It is not a being. It is what it is. It is truth. It is wisdom. It is reality. It is your mind. It is the union of minds. It is it's a co-op of intelligence. That's what Logos really is. So I guess when it comes down to it, we have a choice between a legacy is, I guess, future and past and present. I, I don't know. But it's we have the choice as to whether it's an expansion or a contraction. Would you agree with me? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, I, I have to go. Uh, it was a great, it was a great conversation. And um, I don't know if we'll have another one or not. We'll see. I'll, I'll but I guess, um, yeah, we'll see. But in any case, uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I certainly did. Absolutely. And without further ado, bye for now.